from Genesis chapter 6 and secondly from Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make a lower and middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be, to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go to the, into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights, and I will wipe the face from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Noah did all the Lord commanded him, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. The second reading is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. 
Oh, thanks, Sarah. Uh, evening, everyone. If you've got your Bible open at Hebrews 11, then uh, please keep it open there, because that's where we'll be focusing tonight. Well, uh, let me pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word, for your glory, and for our good. And please help us tonight to reflect on your word, and so to live more and more faithfully to Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, being a Christian means living counterculturally. If you're a Christian, you'll, you'll know that. Um, you'll know that we're called to live differently to the people around us, not because we're any better than them, but simply because that's how God calls his people to live differently, to say yes to some things, to say no to other things. Um, uh, instead of seeking to fit in with the culture around us, to, to fit our lifestyle around following Christ, and actually, uh, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, if you're just part of any minority in our culture, then uh, you'll know that's hard. It's hard to be different, to go against the flow and to stick out. Maybe you feel that in some context when uh, your schoolmates are sharing you know, what you're doing at the weekend, and you're the only one who's going to church. When everyone else seems to be in a relationship and you're single, because you'd rather not be in a relationship than be in a relationship with someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Or when you're doing your finances and you realize you could be a good bit like, <laughs> uh, better off if you scaled back how much you give away to other people and kept a bit more for yourself. That's hard. Maybe it's, maybe it's feeling like you're on the outside. You know, you're open with others about your Christian beliefs and they give you a hard time. They make fun of you. Or maybe they don't. But even if they smile and nod, you, you know that to them you're, you're weird. You're, uh, you're different. There's a group and you're not quite part of it. You're on the outside and that's hard. Or maybe you see that in all likelihood, living as a Christian is going to put you increasingly more and more out of step with the culture we live in. Uh, don't get me wrong, Christians have always been called to be countercultural, but the reality is that for a long time our culture has been firmly stamped by Christian influence, but that's changing. Uh, some would say we're entering a, a post-Christian culture that, that wants to move on and drift away from its historic Christian foundations. Uh, I mean, you, you can already get into trouble for just thinking what Christians have always thought about marriage. Could the day come when Christian, well, when church needs to have a hardship fund for people who've lost their jobs for sticking to Orthodox Christian beliefs? Could the day come when some professions won't be open to Christians, when someone will have to take a job stacking shelves because to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, they need to sign up to stuff that goes against what Christians believe? Not there's anything wrong with stacking shelves, but that could be how things go. I hope it doesn't. I hope that day doesn't come. But it's not hard to imagine. And, and that's hard. It's hard to live counterculturally. We feel anxiety about being different. There's a desire to conform. Uh, it seems safer that way, more comfortable to blend in. Because it's hard to be different. And this bit of the Bible that Sarah read for us is, is here to help us with that. God has put this book of Hebrews in the Bible to help Christians who are struggling, finding it hard to be countercultural. 
you get that in chapter 10. If you could flick back to chapter 10, verse 32, then you'll see that the people this was originally written to, well, you'll see what life was like for them when they became Christians. Uh, chapter 10, verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Suffering, persecution, public disgrace, prison. That's what becoming Christians brought into these people's lives. That's what they got for living counterculturally. And they endured. They endured joyfully. But now, now they're feeling this strain, like a marathon runner who's blitzed through the first few miles. And now they're thinking about the long struggle still ahead of them. Should I keep going? It's so tough. Can I keep going? Maybe I'll just throw in the towel. And the writer knows they're thinking this. Verse 35, he says to them, do not throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. He's saying, I know, I know it's hard to be countercultural. And I know you're tempted to, to go quiet, to blend in. But don't shrink back. Persevere. Keep going. And the question for us tonight is, how do you do that? If we're Christians, we know we should persevere. We know we should be countercultural, but, but it's hard. So how do you do it? And the answer that God gives us here in Hebrews is that you do it by faith. You do it by faith. That's the main point of our talk tonight. Uh, that's what I want to spend the rest of our time convincing us of. The way to live counterculturally as a Christian is by faith. And that brings us to Noah. And if talking about Noah seems a bit random, uh, Noah's story, it's not just a, an old-fashioned children's story. You know, the animals went in two by two and all that. It's a stunning example of the power of faith in someone's life how faith enables a person to live counterculturally now and in the end to be saved. Now, you might have noticed something odd as, uh, as Sarah read Noah's story from Genesis. Uh, well, maybe a few odd things. It's, uh, it's a bit of an odd story. But here's what I mean. Uh, the word faith, it's not there. Uh, faith is not mentioned. But even if the word faith isn't there, Noah's story is all about faith in action. That's why we've got this verse about Noah in Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11 is like a portrait gallery of people who lived by faith. And verse 7 brings us to Noah's portrait. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Well, I'm saying that the way to live counterculturally as a Christian is by faith. So how does that work? How does that happen? Well, let's think about Noah's story to see. One day, 
one day God warns Noah, Noah, I'm going to send a huge flood. I can't ignore the, the wickedness, the sin in the world. I'm going to judge it. And so I'm going to wipe everything and everyone out. Now put yourself in Noah's shoes. God's promise could be pretty hard to believe, couldn't it? You know, everything is going on as normal. People are just living their lives. You, you look around and not one person seems remotely bothered about this huge flood that's apparently going to wipe them out. And it's the same tomorrow. And it's the same the day after that. And the day after that. And loads of days after that. It could be hard to believe. But rather than defining reality by his reason or his experience, Noah allows God to define reality by his word. In other words, he has faith. And that faith isn't blind. No, faith is taking God at his word. That's what faith is. Not shutting your eyes and blindly believing. Faith is keeping your eyes on God, the God who's good, the God who speaks, the God who's trustworthy, and listening to him. The other day, I caught an interview with someone. She said that, especially as a young Christian, there were, there were commands in the Bible, in God's word, that she found really hard uh, to deal with. But she said she reached a turning point. She said, I realized the important question wasn't, do I know exactly why God has said this? But can I trust the one who is saying it? Well, that's faith. It's relational, taking God at his word because of what he's like. And God's word to Noah, it was about things not yet seen. Um, things not yet seen. Just notice, that's not the same as things, things not true or things not real. I remember hearing about a guy getting his hair cut and uh, talking to his hairdresser about his Christian faith. And uh, his hairdresser saying, you know, I really admire your faith. And the guy said, well, can I ask why that is? And in all sincerity, the hairdresser replied, well, I just love that you can believe stuff that isn't true. <laughs> and uh, well, that's, that's not admirable. <laughs> and it's not Christian faith. No, on the basis of God's promise, faith looks ahead to things not yet seen. Stuff that's real, but you can't see it yet because it hasn't happened like Noah's flood, not yet seen, but very real. And Noah took God at his word and looked ahead. And here's the thing for us. That faith is what enabled Noah to be countercultural. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. God's pretty clear that Noah's culture was wicked, and Noah can't have been perfect, but he was different. He didn't blend in. When everyone else was doing their thing, Noah was busy building an ark in obedience to God. You've got everyone else over here and Noah over there building his ark and with a totally different agenda. Why? Because he had faith in God's promise. God warned Noah about his judgment to come, and Noah shaped his whole life around this future reality that God had spoken about. See, for Noah, 
knowing the flood was coming, it was more than just head knowledge. You know, dead head knowledge that doesn't affect you. Now, what Noah knew, it changed his emotions in holy fear. He built an ark. What he knew in his head affected his heart and his hands. He cut out his toolbox and built, built an ark, all because of his faith. In fact, imagine, imagine what would happen to this story if he took Noah's faith out of the picture. Well, nothing would happen. Noah would just live like all the people around him because he'd be living based on how things look now, not how God says they will be. See, what caused Noah to be countercultural was his faith. And that must have been hard. You know, let's be honest, Noah would have looked like a madman building his ark in the desert. Insane. People would have called him crazy. Just imagine the mocking that Noah must have taken day by day for years. Years and years living differently. Years and years of abuse. And nothing seems to happen but he persevered by faith because the future God had promised was more real to him than any suffering now. And in the end, Noah's faith-fueled countercultural living was worth it. The flood came and Noah's faith meant three things for him. One, he saved himself and his family. Two, he condemned the world. That is, he showed up the world to be in the wrong. Uh, all their unbelief, all their mocking was exposed for what it was. <laughs> Noah wasn't on the wrong side of history. They were. And three, he inherited righteousness. In other words, whatever exclusion and judgment was heaped on Noah all those years, God overturned all that. As if God said to Noah, Noah, because you trusted me, I approve you. I accept you. You're my friend forever. Three things. And behind all of them, one thing. Noah's faith. That's the difference his faith made. Faith enabled Noah to live totally differently to the world around him. And faith caused Noah's story to end totally differently to the world around him. And friends, it's the same for us. How will we persevere in countercultural Christian living when it's hard? How will we resist the pressure to blend in, to go quiet, to throw in the towel? By faith, faith in God's promises, faith that looks ahead to the future God has spoken about. So let me ask us, do you, do you know God's promises? I don't mean promises of a flood. At the end of the day, the flood was just a preview, a, a taster of the judgment to come when God finally wipes away all that's wrong and remakes the world to be as it should be. The day that'll be terrible judgment for everyone outside of Christ and wonderful salvation for all those in Christ. Those promises, they're the fuel for our faith. Promises like these, Jesus' words in Luke, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage 
After the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Or Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. This will happen on the day the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. Or Peter's words at the end of his second letter. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Or Jesus in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Or Paul in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. Or finally, Paul, as he looks ahead to his death, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Promises like that are the fuel for our faith. Because we're going to face choices. Times will come when we'll have to make a choice. On the one hand, between living counterculturally for Jesus, and it'll be hard. And on the other, blending in with the culture around us. And if we're not living by faith in God's promises, it's a foregone conclusion. Of course, we'll take the easy route. Why wouldn't we? But if by faith, we're looking ahead to the future God has promised, that will trickle down into our priorities and our agendas and our lives, even if it looks mad like Noah, because we're living by faith in things as yet unseen. See, when we're struggling to live Christianly, when we feel the price of persevering, the answer isn't just willpower, you know, remembering God's commands and mustering, uh, mustering up enough willpower to obey. God commands me to do this. I'm, I must do it. No, that won't work. God commanded Noah to build an ark, but do you think Noah obeyed God's command through willpower? All those years of costly obedience, do you think willpower led Noah to do that? No way. How did Noah obey God's command? Noah obeyed God's command by faith in God's promise. Noah obeyed by faith. God commanded him to build an ark. And Noah believed God about things as yet unseen. And that motivated him, drove him, caused him to obey God's command. 
we persevere in obedience through faith in God's promises. And so next time that you're struggling to obey Christianly, next time you're feeling the price of perseverance, don't just remember God's commands. Try remembering his promises. Believe them. And next time you see me struggling to persevere Christianly, or someone in your small group, or a Christian friend, don't just remind us of God's commands. Remind us of his promises. Help us to live by faith. Not just what I should do, but what God will do. And living counterculturally by faith, it won't be easy. But God won't back out on us. In the end, we'll be so glad that we persevered when we inherit acceptance and approval and friendship from the only one who really matters. Let me finish with some words from later on in Hebrews. Noah is one witness to the power of faith, one of many. Some words from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Well, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak warnings and promises to us that we might believe by faith and live for Christ. And please help us, Father, when it's hard, when we are afraid of living counterculturally, to remember your promises, to have faith to believe them. And please, in that way, help us to live and persevere for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.